so I was looking for stats because, you know, you always need a stat, right, to prove a point here. Um, and, but I did come across the stats from a study uh, in 2015 done by Barna. And uh, I don't know if it will be surprising to you or not, but um, it said this, that 60% of Americans believe that Jesus is God. So 60%. 80, 80% or so say they are Christians. So you know, there's a gap there in just the Christians, right, of I say I'm a Christian, but 60% are somehow saying that Jesus isn't God. That's the, the overall for millennials, or we sort of joked about the millennial generation on Wednesday a little bit, but, or two, Thursday a little bit, but uh, it's getting worse, basically. Uh, 48% of the millennial generation believes that Jesus is God. So less than half. And I would probably say to you that, that that stat is not wrong. I think that stat is pretty spot on, if not, if not a, little bit, um, uh, a little, bit, little bit conservative, maybe. The truth is that many of the people that you interact with day in and day out, half of them don't believe Jesus is God. And as a Christian, as someone who believes that Jesus is God, has been maybe brought up in that and, and known that or believed that for a long, long time, uh, we can sometimes forget that, right? That, like, someone doesn't even understand the concept that, that we're claiming Jesus is God. That he wasn't just a historical figure, but that he actually claimed and demonstrated that he was, in fact, God. The Bible proclaims it very plainly. And, and many people would say, yeah, I believe the Bible. But do they believe what it says? What it says is that Jesus is God. Today we're starting a, a series on John. And I don't know how long we'll be in this series. Probably the rest of the year at least, I'm guessing. Sorry, John. Um, I mean, at least it's your namesake, right? So, you know, we got that going for us. Um, yeah, I think I mapped it out for the next couple months and I got through chapter 4. Uh, maybe the next three months I got through chapter 4. So anyway, yeah, we'll be here for a while. Um, but today we're starting with John 1 to 18. John 1 verses 1 to 18. Uh, so if you want to turn there, feel free. Um, I'll read the passage and uh, we'll, jump, we'll jump right in. This first passage that we're looking at today is actually a prologue to John's entire gospel. And so what's going to happen is that we're going to go through, we're going to see a lot of concepts about who Jesus is in this one passage that continue to get revisited throughout John's gospel. Um, and it's just a reminder to me as we're reading this, like, you know, he's not giving a real chronological perspective as much as a persuasive argument uh, to us about Jesus being who he said he was. And, uh, and this is, the estimates of when this is written is like, 60 to 80 AD can range from that, maybe a little bit further, a little bit earlier. Um, and, um, and so, you know, this is 30-some uh, years after Jesus' ministry. And now John is, we think, the last one of the four Gospels to be written. And he is giving his take on who Jesus is. And, and we think it was either written from Alexandria or from Ephesus. Uh, there's a lot of, like, Unclarity about its actual origin, where it was going to, where it was from. Uh, tradition says uh, related to Ephesus in some way. But here, Paul or here, John is saying 
some very particular thing. And he actually gives us the purpose of his message at the end of the book in John 20, verses 30 to 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, by believing, you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of everything that John puts together in this text is to declare that one statement to you, that Jesus, this man who was born of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, that this Jesus, this historical figure, is the Son of God, that he is the one promised, the Messiah, the Christ. And so the whole book is persuasive toward that end. Today in the passage, what we're going to see is him, again, setting the groundwork for that. We see that Jesus here is clearly portrayed as God. Let's read verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The first thing we see in this text is very simply in a, in a number of statements, John declaring that Jesus is God. Over and over, these items that he really lists out about Jesus really demonstrate what he's trying to say. Jesus isn't just some man. He is greater than just a man. He is God. Let's look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, in this case, is Jesus. It's made very plain as, as we go through the text. In verses 6 to 8, we see that someone is testifying about the Word, and that is John. It says in, in, in a, a different John. In verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might, all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We know that that man, that John, is John the Baptist. And the man John the Baptist pointed to was Jesus. So who is the word and who is the light? It is Jesus. And here John starts out with a very bold statement about Jesus. What is the nature and existence of the word? Well, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is God. If there's anything plainly stated by the Bible, it's that Jesus existed eternally. He was with the Father before there was a world. In fact, we see it goes even further. Verse 2 says this, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So often we think of God the Father as the one who created everything, right? But in multiple cases, we see Jesus is actually a participant in the creation itself, an equal participant with God in the creation. 
There was not anything made that was made without him. He was part of the whole thing from the beginning, eternally existing with the Father and the Spirit, creator of the world. He's eternal. He is unified with God. He is creator. In verse 4, we see John sharing some more about him. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life. He's eternal. He's unified with God. He's the creator. He is, in fact, the one that gives life. Further than that, he is the light of men. He is the answer, truly, to all of our hearts' yearnings and questions. He's the light of men. When we look at a world that's broken, when we look at a situation of maybe among ourselves that is, that is not right, that isn't perfected, that isn't ideal, that isn't quite there for some reason, the thing that we're missing is Jesus. We're missing him to be our light, to fill in the gaps that we will never be able to fill in ourselves. He is the light of men. He is the hope that we uh, desire to attain whether we know it or not. For those who believe that Jesus is God, this is very plain and clear. But for those who don't, I guarantee you there is a longing inside them to fill something that is missing. And they're filling it with lots of things. And what they have to fill it with is the light of men. It is the only thing that will satisfy. It is the only thing that will stand in and give us true hope for the situations and things that we're walking through. He's a source of life. He is the light of men. He is our hope. As I read verses 6 to 8, John records about John the Baptist uh, speaking of him. In, in a way, he's contrasting this and just, just, if, just if he hadn't made it quite clear, he says, there was a man and, and this man did testify about Jesus. That was, the, that was the man that came. But Jesus is God. This man, was, he was sent by God even. But he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Jesus is God. That's what the Bible tells us, at least. And most likely for, for many of you here today, that's what you've experienced as God has become the light inside your soul. As you face situation after situation, seeing Jesus come and show up and be there for you in your toughest times. You've seen him demonstrate that to you in your very experience. Jesus is God. John continues his prologue by doing, I think, a couple of things, uh, demonstrating how Jesus comes to the world as God and how Jesus comes to the world as a man. We see in verses 9 to 13 that the light of the world is coming into the world. 9 to 13 says this, The true light, 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. God desired to come and be part of the world, to show the light, to bring the light into our lives, to step into the darkness that we walked through and be here with us. That is what God did. The true light that lightens, enlightens everyone came into the world. The source of life, the source of hope, the eternal one didn't stay off separated from us, but came to us to be among us. John says a number of things about him. He says, first this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So this is Jesus, right, that we're talking about. Jesus he was already in the world before he came to the world. How is that so? <laughs> well, one, because we just said he's eternal, so he, he already existed, right? So we knew he already existed. But how is he already in the world, right? Verse 10, he was in the world before he came into the world. That, like, blow your mind a little bit? Blew my mind when I was thinking about it that way, at least. <laughs> Maybe your minds have already been blown. I'm not sure. Um, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I would tell you this, that Jesus, one of the things about Jesus that is uh, amazing about him and him in particular is his sacrificial love. I mean, looking back now at the cross, we see that demonstrated. We see this God who came and gave his life for us and chose to do so, chose to bear the cross for us, take on our affliction and our pain and suffering at the cross and, and bury it there and defeat death in the grave. We, we see him doing that, right? But I would tell you that that desire to see and to celebrate sacrificial love is there even before Jesus came. That if, even now, for those who don't know that Jesus is God, you are gripped by a story of someone giving themselves for you or for someone they don't know. We look at, we talk about firefighters, right? We talk about policemen. We talk about uh, soldiers, Right? We talk about people that have laid down their lives, put their lives on the line to step in and bring safety or protection or, or whatever you have. And we, what do we do? Do we say, oh man, that was a bad idea. Man, that was, what are they doing? They're so lame. No, we celebrate that. Something in us says, that is amazing. One of the things we were kicking around again was generations on, on Thursday at community group. And we talked about how did generations start getting named, right? And we talked about the greatest generation. Why is the greatest generation called the greatest generation? They endured these difficult times of the Depression, and then after all that is done, they go and fight World War II, right? It, 
laid everything on the line to protect freedom and protect the people that they loved. They didn't worry about their safety. They just went and did it. Jesus is the perfect example of what sacrificial love is. Eternally existent in complete comfort with all authority and power. He says, yeah, I'm going to lay all that down to come walk among you and give myself in your place. He was already in the world. A desire for someone to stand in for us when we couldn't stand in for ourselves is deeply ingrained. He is the one who fulfills it eternally. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came, verse 11, to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Who did he come to? He came to the, the people of God. He came to Israel. He came to them as, as the fulfillment of all that Moses said, as the fulfillment of all that the prophets said. He came to them. They did not receive him. They, they wanted someone who would take over Rome and, and turn them into a great empire that would have great influence in the world. It's not what he did. Instead, he gave his life to build a spiritual kingdom that would continue on beyond the Roman kingdom itself. Greater in strength and power and might than any of any world could offer. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Jesus as God, and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. <laughs> Jesus gives himself for you that you might become like him, a child of God, in God's family, reconciled to your Father in heaven. I think one of the deep hopes that we have as people is to connect in a right way with our parents. I think it's deeply ingrained in all of us. We all probably have stories of how that wasn't perfect or isn't perfect. And there's a disappointment where that's not perfect. There's a longing there. There's, I wish this were better. I wish this were healthier. It could have been so much better. God knew that. And superseding even the love of a parent for a child, he sends his son to make you one of his children. That hope you have for right relationships with people is fulfilled in Jesus. Steps in as the true light of the world. He's the true light of the world. He comes as God, standing in a place where only God can stand to reconcile men unto the Father. But the way in which he came, he came as flesh. He didn't come as some uh, spirit wandering around without any ability to feel uh, pain or difficulty or temptation even. Jesus feels temptation. He feels sorrow 
He feels pain. He felt physical pain. He feels these things deeply. He wasn't just like, you know, Superman. He truly was fully God and fully man. Can I logically explain that? I can't. Does the Bible attest to that? It does. We see Jesus weep. We see Jesus whipped. We see Jesus cry out when people are in hurting and pain. He's not disconnected from human emotion. He feels it entirely and fully. Verses 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we all have all received grace upon grace. For the truth, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't stand back in comfort. He came into the fight with us. It stood in the gap for us. Showed us what it is to live a full life. We see in verse 15 that um, what John wants to tell us is that this man who came as God, as the light of the world, as the hope of the world, uh, as the one who could restore us to God the Father, he had to be pointed out. He, he's a man. He is going through the difficulty of even persuading people and showing people who he is and who he'd come to be. John comes before him and verse 15 says, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John wants to point out, hey, Jesus didn't like show up in some big lightning show. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't just blatantly obvious to, to everyone that this was God. In fact, what had to happen was that John the Baptist had to come and be a rock star, basically. Okay, like John the Baptist is a rock star. By the time there is a dispute about who Jesus is, uh, the Pharisees are confounded by Jesus when he says this question, who do you think that, that John the Baptist was? Why couldn't they answer that question? Because John the Baptist was so loved that if they said he wasn't from God, it would be their heads. And they couldn't say they agreed that he was from God because he said that Jesus was the Messiah. So they're stuck. They can't answer. John the Baptist was a rock star. And so for him to say, uh, he who comes after me ranks before me was powerful in itself. For John the Baptist to say those words, hey, listen, there's a guy coming after me. He's going to be even greater. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire. Okay? Like, those kind of statements are powerful 
because John wasn't just, you know, I mean, he was in the backwoods, but his backwoods following was tremendous. Like people are leaving cities to go into the bush and hear from John and be baptized in the Jordan River, okay, in, in throngs. So for him to say that, that this person after me is going to be even bigger is like, what? Like, I can't, I can't get that, you know? It's like you two coming and say, hey, listen, this band after us, they are the joint. You know, they're going to be awesome. They're going to be great. It's like, that'd be weird, right? Any U2 fans? Maybe, maybe you guys hate U2. You're like, <laughs> like U2 stinks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's right. Um, so he says that. And then he says, why is he rank, rank above me? Because he was before I even existed. Everyone knows John the Baptist came before Jesus, and John the Baptist is saying, he actually was before me. Jesus came as a man. He came in flesh and dwelt among us. And he shows us his glory. He says this, We have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The fullness of grace and truth is exhibited in his life and in his glory. Jesus is a man that men like to speak of. You know, as dudes, there's guys that, you know, we like to talk about. We like to talk about other dudes that have been successful, right? I mean, think about it. What's that? Took the words right out of my mouth. Chuck Norris, right? Is there, is there any man in here that doesn't like to give a Chuck Norris line? I bet I could ask you your favorite Chuck Norris line right now, and someone would have a Chuck Norris line. Anybody? Anybody? Sorry, put you on the spot. <laughs> What's that? Not appropriate. <laughs> all right, all right. Very good. I should have written one down, but I was lame, so I didn't, I didn't prepare that much. <laughs> uh, Chuck Norris, right? I mean, uh, Jackie Chan, you know? I mean, these, these people, we love to talk about their success. We do it in sports. We do it in business. We do it with movie stars. We love to talk about people that have been successful. Who, who appears as one who has lived a fullness of life. That's what we see in Jesus. He has lived the fullness of life before us. And he's done it in grace and in truth. And that's a hard thing to balance, grace and truth, in your life. Sometimes you are a person that leans very heavily on throwing the truth into the situation. Sometimes you're a person that leans very heavily and throwing just, uh, just all the grace. Let's throw all the grace in here. But mixing the two, the fullness of grace and truth demonstrated to our world, it's hard. But Jesus does that. He, he is able to cross racial barriers and, and uh, status quo and go into circumstances that we wouldn't see. In a few weeks, we'll look at him visiting the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, he's not supposed to be hanging out with Samaritan, not supposed to be hanging out with a woman, uh, not supposed to be hanging out with a woman that's on her fifth husband, 
okay? And not supposed to be with a woman that's lying about her fit. Okay, all these situations, he steps into and gracefully comes to her and speaks to her. And does he say, oh, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, it'll be okay. God's gonna, he'll be there for you. It's gonna be, no. He lays down the truth, doesn't he? When she, when she sort of muddies it a bit. Yeah, this, uh, this guy, well, he's actually not your husband, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Grace and truth. He demonstrates in fullness. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. As John, you know, shares this as a, uh, as a e- evangelistic book and an encouraging book and letter to, to the church and to those around, he's telling everyone around that in Jesus, we receive grace for every situation. Grace for the times when uh, we aren't quite truthful enough. Grace for the times when we're too graceful. He fills the gap in our inadequacy. I don't know about you, but there's a number of circumstances and, and conversations and situations I've been in this week that I probably didn't live to the fullness and probably messed up some things. Am I sweating that? I, you know, I, I, I've dealt with it and it was hard. But ultimately, because of what Christ has done, I can lean into his grace and say, thank you, God, that in spite of me, you will speak. In spite of me, you will work. And when I've given all that I can give and can't give enough, you will fill the gap. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. It never runs out. Uh, one day we're going to receive enough grace for that day and the next day we're going to receive enough grace for that day and the next moment we're going to receive enough grace for that moment. From his fullness we've received grace upon grace. He continually allows us into his presence in spite of us. At one time, as it says, uh, the law was given through Moses. And that time, to continue to be made right and to be made pure, you give a physical sacrifice over and over and over again to continually keep up our purity as a nation and as a people. And Jesus gave the final sacrifice, the full sacrifice. And so every day I am able to remain in the presence of God by the cross. The grace that he gives us there over and over and over as we lean into him. Who is Jesus? He's God. But he's also the one who has made God known. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Wrap your mind around that statement, right? No one has ever seen God. 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What he's saying plainly is that Jesus has made known the Father to us. That Jesus has made known the Father's will to us. The Father's will from the creation when we first messed it up was that he desired to restore people to their purpose. He did so immediately for Adam and Eve. He restored them to a purpose. He could have annihilated them and ended the whole thing. He could have. But he sacrifices an animal and clothes them when they tried to clothe themselves with, uh, with grass, right? So he says, no, 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 no. Here, here, let me, let me do this. And you can't live here, but you're going to continue this. And it's going to be harder, yeah, but, you know, I'm going to send someone someday to come and bring you back. And that person is Jesus. He reveals the Father to us. The Father's love from the beginning was to give himself for us, to restore us unto him, to make his wishes known, to make his will known, to reveal himself to us. Again, as a, as a human, I don't think there's much greater you desire than to be brought in in the conversation that your parents are having. Uh, to understand like what they want and what they desire of you and to, and to honor them and to, and to please them in some ways. I know for some that's been broken a long time ago. Maybe that, that desire isn't there anymore. But it was there. It was. Deeply there. A desire to have that relationship be whole and true and good. That's exactly what the Father's doing in Jesus. He's saying, why don't you come here? Let me show you how deep my love is for you. I'm going to give myself for you. Let me give up all that I have received as eternally existent second person in the Trinity. I'm going to walk this earth with you and I'm going to die. That you might be able to see how deep my love is for you know it. He who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has made him known. As we go through John, the whole of the book, we'll learn more about exactly how Jesus makes himself known and the situations he steps into and the sacrifices he made and the miracles that he performs to show who he is. But know this very plainly, Jesus is God. He, he, is, he is the hope of the world. There is someone in your life that's looking for hope. They're looking for Jesus. I mean, it's really as simple as that. How do you communicate that? Well, you don't just bang him over the head with the Bible. You don't do that. You do it in, in grace and in truth. You... You, like Jesus, come alongside and, and know and understand their circumstances and understand, try and understand who they are and what they're about. Try and understand why it is they might be mad at God or at the church or at Christians or whatever because there's a reason, I guarantee you, why they're not looking for hope in Jesus if they're in America. This isn't some place where, like, no one knows what a church is. <laughs> like, there are some, and they're increasingly so. But just as Jesus did, come alongside. Come and get to know. 
people because their longing is for something that you have, that Jesus is the one that has brought in fullness, grace and truth into your life. And that when you mess up, you're not riddled with guilt because you have, you have taken it to the cross. And you have seen God say, you are a righteous one. You've been made righteous, not by what you have done, but what Jesus has done for you. You stand here at my throne, uninhibited in your prayers, able to come fully to me, express yourself honestly and openly and cry out to me. You have that in Jesus. And I guarantee you people are looking for something as deep and powerful as that. Let us let his fullness fill our lives with grace and truth. Let us be there for people in whatever situation they're in. And let us pray for the boldness and courage to trust God when we need to speak truth into that. Let's not put one before the other, though. Jesus lived 30 years before he spoke a word of ministry. 30 years. He became a carpenter. You know what I mean? Like, if we understood how much he took in, in incarnating himself, let's have that patience to come alongside those that are around us and truly, slowly demonstrate the passionate, consistent love of Jesus that he has for people. And finally, you know, know this, that you can know the heart of the Father. We need to be reminded of that as believers, that you can know the heart of the Father, and it's very simple. It's the gospel that you heard at the beginning. God died for you. God the Father gave his Son to pay your price. What's the heart of the Father? He wants to demonstrate his sacrificial love to the world, and he has done it for you. 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 His heart is for you. If you're struggling with anything this morning, know this, that God the Father has given everything for you and wants you deeply to know him and to trust him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of uh, a very, not a new truth, but a very important truth. That you came as God. You walked in the flesh, and, but you were not just some historical figure. You died on a cross and you rose again. You defeated death in the grave. You declared yourself to be the way, the truth, and the life. You did not um, rebuke anyone who called you son of David or son of man, who cried out, Hosanna, to you. You did not reject those things because they were true. And so, God, I pray that we would be renewed in our belief of that, that you are the one that brings fullness into our lives, that you are the light of our lives, that you bring 
us the hope that we need in this world. And help us to demonstrate that to those around us in grace and in truth. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.